Coming up this week, off-screen. The Divergent series gets Allegiant. Charlie Kaufman is mired in Anomalisa. Puritans face off against the Witch. Poe is back in Kung Fu Panda 3. Amala Wayans gets hot and heavy in Fifty Shades of Black. All those to come and more, off-screen. This is... This is Offscreen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Off Screen, the on screen radio show. Welcome to Off Screen. I'm Van Connor. My name is Case Allen. So I, I, I'm really sorry, Case. I'm going to apologise in advance because we're going to what, start. We're going to start at the bottom of the pile this week. We're oh, going to start no. with the lowest common denominator. And I know film reviews is supposed to be upbeat and happy. I did say last week we're not an artistic form. We're not a journalistic yeah, we, thing. We had a whole conversation. We, we are entertainment above yes, all else. Absolutely. So we're going to start with the least entertaining thing. <laughs> and we're going to have to start with Fifty Shades of Black. Let's just I'm, get it out of the way. I'm really sorry. So have you seen Fifty Shades of Grey? I've seen bits of it. You've seen the trailers and the memes, basically. Is that what it is? Pretty much, yeah. Okay, so Fifty Shades of Grey, which is about the young girl and a steel college college English major, I think, who goes to interview a billionaire who happens to be the mysterious man of her dreams, but also likes a bit of BDSM on the side. No I say way. I say on the side, constantly. And uh, But in this case, uh, he's now Christian Black, not Christian Grey. He's played by Marlon Wayans. Anna Steele has become Hannah Steele, and is played by Callie Hawk. And, well, it's from one of the guys involved in Scary Movie, so you can sort of see what tone this is going to take early on. Here's a clip which tells you kind of what you're dealing with. Christian, we have to talk. Uh, you mean, like, white people? What's wrong with that? Well, they just talk a lot. You know, they do it differently than black people do. White people don't like to argue. They like to discuss. And they start throwing around all these big SAT words and putting a lot of emotional guilt on each other. It's just too much to deal with. I like it the black way, you know, where we curse each other out, we may fight, and then we get cool again, but we talk about each other behind each other's back. What you not gonna do? Oh, no, well, you not no, gonna what do. You not gonna you're do. not about to knock me. <laughs> Don't let me get to clapping, boo. Oh, hell no. See? That, that's, that's communication. No, no, that's unfunny <laughs> comedy. So there's a point about an hour into the film when they finally get to the whole uh, BDSM element of Fifty Shades of Grey, and uh, Marlon Wayans asked, do you know why I'm going to punish you? And my answer in my own head at that moment was because it's been an hour and I haven't gotten up and left. Uh, this is a 92-minute long comedy that you will not laugh once at. Genuinely. You might have a whole, heh, every now and again. I mean, genuinely, heh. But you <laughs> it just sounds like you're breathing. It sounds like you're like it, exhaling. It's so unfunny. Yeah. Um, the, the, the interesting thing for me is that the production notes for the film, when you get to, you know, every time you go to a pressure, they give you the production notes. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, about 10 sides of A4 stapled mm. together with all the background information you need on the film. Most of the time, you don't read them. If you get really bored during the film, you tend to start reading them. You know, a lot of, a lot of journalists take their notes on the press yeah. notes. Anyway, um, with this film, you notice that the cast list of the of the production notes lists the third name down as Fred Willard. And I found really? that incredibly interesting in light of the finished film because Fred Willard plays Christian Black's father, has a single scene and about four lines of dialogue, and yet they have to trade so heavily on the fact that he appears in the film... That yeah, you know what I mean. I wonder how much money Fred Willard. Got I for really want. This is a man who managed to emerge epic movie with managed to emerge from epic movie with a shred of dignity, and yet he and Jane Seymour both just get car wrecked in this movie. It is so unfunny. Uh, there is a moment in this laughterless affair in which, during one of these sexualized torture scenes, it shows you Callie Hawk strapped to a bed with Marlon Wayans literally taking out a copy of Fifty Shades of Grey and saying, right, chapter 21, and he reads what is presumably the actual book, which I concede is awfully written. I've never finished it. It's a terrible read. Um, I've never even gotten to the sexy part. even started it. <laughs> I, I wanted to know what the first was. I couldn't even get to the sexy part. It was. It right. was I mean, I thought Dan Brown was a terrible writer. No, he is E.L. James. But there is a moment where in which uh, Marlon Wayans says, oh my god, this is torturous. This is so badly written. It's like it was written by a third grader. And then you think, yes, that might be true, Marlon, but it's still better written than your film is. And I laughed more at that book than I did your film, 
and your film is actually of such a, a lackluster comedic level mm. that you have mm. unintentionally made the more wink wink nudge nudge sense of irony which Im- imbued in Fifty Shades of Grey render that film an awful lot funnier and Marlon Wayans is enjoying himself he, he, he's having a lot of fun on screen he's I'm doing, sure that he is I'm the, sure he's the amount of money that he's going to make for and it. that's it you just think yeah. yes because you're getting paid an obscene amount of money to make poop jokes yeah and then you've got Callie Hawk who was in Bridesmaids Callie Hawk was the other jewelry store worker in Bridesmaids oh, remember no yeah. yeah the yeah, good of one course, yeah. yeah and you think okay so you've been in Bridesmaids so obviously we know that you know the difference between a good film and a good comedy and a bad one mm. so why are you here and then you realise that you've already given the film more thought than has actually gone into it but yeah I mean, the, the the thing that sums it up for me is is there is a gag in the film in which um, we are shown uh, Christian Christian Black. You can say Christian. Girl. We're shown uh, Christian Black in the early in the early scenes of the film mm. committing acts of petty crime. Yet he's a billionaire. And you think, yeah, isn't okay. he like taking someone's purse? Takes someone's purse, yeah. walks into a, a, t- a store, tries on a suit, and just walks out with it. <laughs> uh, goes to a valet and gets in someone's what? car. You know, the just usual. really perpetual. Really, yeah, really think. And you think, yeah. and then you realise a couple of moments. Like you can't figure out why that's there. Mm. A couple of minutes later, it gets to the point when you know Anna Steele and Christian Grey mm. meet in the original film. They meet here, and she asks how he made his fortune, and he says, well, "What do you think? I'm a drug dealer." And you're like, "Oh yes." Because you're Marlon Wayans, there it is. and you yeah. still think in 2016 that it's funny <laughs> that a black guy smoked crack and committed some crimes. Bravo, Marlon. Bravo. I hope they paid you a fortune for this, because you clearly have no artistic integrity at all. You were given the opportunity to comedically explore the notion of taboos and, and fetishes and the sexualization of pop culture through the focal point of what is arguably one of the great feminist watershed moments of the last decade and instead you chose to wipe your backside with it and are now asking audiences to fork over their hard-earned cash to sniff that. No, don't. You won't laugh once, I promise you. This will be on Netflix in about three weeks. This genuinely... I, Haunted House did, remember that? Yeah, I do remember Haunted that. House, single screening. So was the sequel as well. Sequel. Yeah. Um, they had a press show for the screening. I couldn't make it. You know what? One single uh, cinema in London, and then straight to deep, straight to Netflix. No, Netflix. Netflix. Not, Not even DVD. DVD. Yeah, there we are. Yeah. Jeez, spare me a coke. <laughs> <laughs> You see, we've just referenced 21 Jump Street, which is, and just referencing that makes us laugh. So we appreciate that. Because that's a really great comedy. That is a comedy, yes. And yeah, that's not original. That is also an adaptation, obviously. That's a a sequel to a reboot of a. (laughs) Yeah, what? So, no, this isn't funny. You won't laugh at all. Don't do it. He can't even keep uh, his racial satire in check all the way through the film because it's woefully inconsistent. Mm. Just go and watch Don't Be a Menace, I'm Gonna Get You Sucker, or even the first scary movie. Again, those are the three yeah, good ways Yeah, we were saying that the first scary movie, yeah, it was decent. No, I'm going to slash, decent. gash. No, yeah. no, I'm not going to repeat no, the rest of that, that line. But we can't do it on it. Because the jokes worked. And yeah. in here, the, you, this film just stops dead to do skits that reference other movies. Uh, like, at one point, it stops dead to a, do a prolonged whiplash sequence. Were you rushing or were you dragging? And then there's a moment where it stops dead to do a Magic Mike bit. There's another bit where it stops dead. To, literally, this happens over and over again. And then there is a point at which Marlon Wayans, doing the whole, what do you want, answering the whole, what do you want, Christian yeah. bit, comes back with, I want Kevin Hart not to be in every movie. There are other black actors. And you just find yourself thinking, yes, Marlon. But on the back of this film, you're kind of proving why it might be a good thing to have Kevin Hart in every movie. Because you're clearly not up to the job. That's rant over. I'm good. I'm done, I'm done now. Shall we uh, plug a podcast? Plug a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to hear the extended version of this podcast... <laughs> if you want to hear more of uh, Van Vanting about the Wayans family... <laughs> Here's a hint. The extended version, the podcast, the stuff that's after the end credits, which you can go online and download free, sees us with cigars, glasses of scotch, in a hot tub. Smoking jackets. Smoking jackets. Probably in, not hot In the hot tub. Oh, no, I, oh, keep, oh, I keep mine in the hot tub. On. I'm sensitive about my weight, man. That's what it is. That's fair, but mine... Bump, got, like, bumps in cru- all the wrong places. velvet, so I don't want to get it too uh, wet. That's how it that's is. Fair. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so you know that, that that's uh, off screen after dark. <laughs> Gets a little blue. Gets a bit of blue for dads. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so the podcast extended edition free on iTunes, Acast, SoundCloud, Podcast Island is that a thing? Podcast Island. Uh, yeah. Stitcher, TuneIn. It's on TuneIn. I always forget that one. Yeah, of course, I'm, yeah. I'm always very proud of that because we don't manually upload it. To them. <laughs> 
<laughs> but oh, we did a reference to J.K. Simmons there. I watch Spider-Man. Yeah, you know. Um, so we got to talk about the great Parker. news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now we he's going to be saying a different name, isn't he? He is. He's going to be saying Batman. <laughs> I watch Batman. Bruce Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he is going to be Commissioner Gordon in the Justice League. Yes, he is. That is great casting. Well, I'm, I'm presuming it's one of those contracts that includes multiple films because obviously we've got. I would think so. There's a second Justice League to come. There's allegedly a Ben Affleck directed Batman movie called The Batman, which mm, is it's at some maybe point. 2019 or 2020. Yeah. yeah. So uh, hopefully we'll be seeing a lot of, of old Simmons and uh, yeah. well, put it this way, we know the guy can grow a killer stash. So it's big time, and then get him a bit of a white wig as well. If if they're going for the uh, proper. Well, they're going for the foppish thing like I would, Gary Oldman. I would like that. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I, I, as long as he has... The, he just the, needs a moustache. As long as a classic Commissioner Gordon stash. Yeah. Do you know he's only the fifth live-action Commissioner Gordon? Are we counting Ben McKenzie? Cause he, I am counting Ben McKenzie, count- yeah. Ben he's, McKenzie. he's not got a stash yet. He's not, he's yet. not yet. No, because he's, he's still too young to grow one. Mm. <laughs> 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 right, so what have we got next? I'm, I'm losing track of time. We're going to do the box office top ten. Number ten. The other side of the door. Which, you know, it had a lot of potential, and there's some great stuff in there. Johannes Roberts manages to do some some sort of classically, almost South American-influenced, uh, you know, classical horror in one sense. There's, there's mm-hmm. a smidge of Del Toro in there, you know what I mean? There's a oh, smell yeah. of Alejandro Aya, you know, and and Sarah Wayne Kelly's is quite likeable in it. Jeremy's sister is quite likeable. I think the problem with it is, ultimately, it doesn't... He kind of cops out in being a horror film. It's a much more interesting psychological drama. I don't want you to think it's not good. It's it's perfectly fine. But the problem is it's it's neither better nor worse than perfectly fine. Number nine, Manon Lescar, which is a opera. Which obviously I haven't seen. <laughs> I've never seen an opera in my life. I don't actually think I have. Uh, so well, we'll just move on. Number eight. Spotlight, which I love. It's, it's, it's come back up, hasn't it? Yeah, this is because it won the Best Picture Oscar. Yeah, ever so slightly. It turns out that's good for press. Who knew? Um, well, <laughs> good, good figure. I love it. It's got great performances. It's really well written. Tom McCarthy's done a great job directing it. Um, I, I don't really know what else was left to say on Spotlight. We've spoken a lot about it. We, we do really like it. Number seven. I will. It's The Revenant. It is the Oscar-winning The Revenant. Oh, that, that got me. <laughs> that got me by I didn't tell you that was there. There's, there's, there's more. There's more dots throughout. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so Leo Leo won an Oscar for this. I, I didn't know. I did, did not, you not know that? that? Leo won an Oscar. We're not going to do the clip anymore. It's fine. It's done. We're good. But Leo won an Oscar. Chivo won an Oscar. Inuritu won an Oscar. I think we can call it a day, but my favourite part about this is, have you heard the story of what happened when Leo got his Oscar? Is is it one where he went to go get it engraved? Yeah, you, you get the Oscar engraved after yeah, you've yeah. won it, yep. and he asked the lady doing it, are you here every year? I wouldn't know. Oh, yes. Bra- bravo, Leo. Bravo. You legend of a man. Now go back to your yacht with your supermodels. You've earned it. Number six. How to be single. How to be single. Uh, B. DiCaprio, have a yacht and some supermodels. <laughs> I'm scared to say any other names just in case it starts with something that's going to make me laugh. <laughs> I won't put. I don't put any unexpectedly. You know the okay. only ones that are coming now. Yeah. Uh, How to be single is fine. It's fine for what it is, but it really wants to be more than what it is. That's the problem. Mm. It wants to be a boundary crossing, a, a, a you know, a envelope pushing, you know, sort of def- convention-defying R-rated girls rom-com. And the problem is that when the chips are down, when it ultimately comes to the end of the line, it falls back on the tired and the worn conventions that you know and expect. And literally every story in the film goes where you think it's going to go. With a handful of minor exceptions. I mean, it, it is interesting. The most entertaining character in the film is the guy. It's the dude from Workaholics, Anders Home, uh, And that's kind of kind of sad, because I really wanted something more from this. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back. So, oh, we, we've got some news case, and, well, oh, yeah. it involves it involves one of our favourite subjects, so uh, you might want to sit down for this one. Oh, 
It's Baywatch, baby. <laughs> so, brilliant moment. I should have known that was coming. Yeah, brilliant moment towards the end of last week yeah. when Dwayne Johnson took to Facebook. Cause he's, he's always on Facebook, always on Twitter, always on Instagram. Dwayne Johnson loves Instagram. He loves it. And what I love is I follow both him and Kevin Hart on Instagram, and I love it when oh, they, they, they post things in tandem. It's, yeah. it's a lot of fun. So, Dwayne Johnson posted to his Facebook page a FaceTime call with David Hasselhoff. Did you see it? Did you watch I've it? I've not seen it. I've heard about it. So... Dwayne Johnson used this as his announcement. David Hasselhoff is going to be in Baywatch. That is incredible. And then the next day, he posted another thing where he was on uh, he was on a beach lifting a tyre with Zac Efron, as you do for fun. As you, you know, do, you yeah, yeah. Take it in terms of... Ca- casual can, Tuesday. Yeah, casual yeah. Tuesday, lifting some tyres. It probably was Tuesday. Um, <laughs> and announced that he's also going to be playing uh, Mitch Buchanan. So yeah. he actually is playing he's, the Hasselhoff character, it, yeah. but Hasselhoff is going to be in the film, apparently is in the best shape he's ever been in for it. The guy, Hasselhoff's in the gym. To be fair, he's not really been in the public eye for about a year, so he's probably just been in the gym. I just... don't know. Did you never watch uh, Hoff the Record? I quite liked that. Oh, was that his kind of like... That was his... his yeah, it was yeah, like a for... life's too short kind of... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I quite liked that. But yeah, so he's going to... Rock's going to be Mitch Buchanan. David Hasselhoff's going to be in it. It opens next year. I, I, I know where I'll be. I'll be, I'll be you do it every time. You, you just sing along, don't you? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> right. You are just on point with all of these little audio clips. I, I, I know, I know. It's, it's what you can tell. When I've got ten minutes free during the prep time, it's like, well, we'll grab that clip, we'll, we'll grab that clip. clip. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, oh, competitions. We've got some interesting ones Ooh, at the moment. What um, well, we've got, believe it or not, Sarah Jessica Parker made a comeback movie. That went direct to DVD. So we're giving that away. Okay. Yeah, it's... What, what is it called? Uh, it's called All Roads Lead to Rome. Ben Halford reviewed it for us on onscreenfilm.com. Go on onscreenfilm.com for the competition section as well to enter that. And while you're there, pop over to the features section. And there may or may not be a certain monthly film quiz in which mm. to partake. Hmm. I might have had some uh, some input. You, you may indeed have taken a slight bit of input. There. Right, so should we uh, let's have a look what else is going on then? Uh, so, oh, oh, Matthias, Matthias Schonatz. Oh, my boy. Yeah, y- your boy, your boy, your man, your Mateus. man, Matthias, your man, Matthias. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, he's reteaming with Thomas Vinterberg, the director of Far from the Madding Crowd. No way. Yeah, have you not heard about this? No, I've not. This right. is brand new information. I'm, I'm to glad. My I'm glad ears. you sat down. Yeah. Because I'm about to rock your world. Okay. Wait for this, Matthias Schonatz. <laughs> He's going to be playing the lead in a film called Kursk. Kursk? Yes. Cool. What, what even does, even the mean? name just that sounds, sounds cool, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Right. This is based on the true story of the Russian submarine, which was sinking. And they spent the survivors spent five days fighting for life, breathing the last of their air as Russia refused international requests, international offers of aid, and then eventually reneged oh. and allowed the French and yeah. the, Nor- the English and the Norwegians to step in. So, Curse, directed by Thomas Vinterberg and starring Matthias Schoenart. How long do we have to wait before he turns up on Game of Thrones? Really? Hopefully, season seven. <laughs> Hopefully, season. <laughs> we'll seven. see him next year. So, uh, let's look at Anomalisa then, which is... Uh, Charlie Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. Um, this is the weird thing. Everyone remember, seems to know Charlie Kaufman as the writer of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yes. Which seems a bit weird. That's like saying Michael Jackson's the guy that sang Thriller. It, well, that's the film that he's won his own, his, uh, his own Oscar so that, that's fair enough. But, but he's he's done so much other stuff. He has, yeah. and he's he's you know my my uh, my uh, my favorite one of his I think to date was uh, adaptation. Yeah, Nicholas Cage. Oh, oh, yeah. Go figure. Go figure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, what, what was uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman? Uh, oh, Synecdoche, New, New York, which yeah, ranks as good. one of the worst films I've ever seen. So we have very different. I will opinions. kill you dead. You defend <laughs> that to me, I will kill, I'll kill you, you dead. Where you sit. <laughs> Had that the other day. John Colson told me, "You know, Frozen isn't that good." And my response was, "I kill you." <laughs> so, Anomalisa, which is the latest from uh, Charlie Kaufman, who's written and co-directed this with Duke Johnson, uh, who used to direct the skits for Community, funnily enough, and. As such, this film is actually produced by Starburns Industries, the production company behind Community. No. Dan Harmon, yeah. the creator of Community, is actually a producer on this film. So that's interesting. Yeah, you, you're now incredibly intrigued, aren't you? I love Starburns. We, we're both big, we're both big Community fans. Yeah. So this works, right? So this is the story of Michael Stone. I'm just going to give it this way: the story of Michael Stone, who is a middle-aged uh, writer. He's written the ultimate book on customer service, and he's got a sort of lonely life. He's in a sort of loveless marriage. He feels very removed. His his sense of ennui and milieu has just reached this stage where he sees everybody in the world as having the same voice, uh, same face 
and using the same voice, which happens to be the voice of uh, the actor Tom Noonan. And uh, he goes on a business trip to Cincinnati, stays at a hotel where he is going to give a keynote speech at a uh, customer service convention, because apparently that's actually a thing. Um, and in the on, in over the course of the evening leading up to his keynote speech, he encounters a woman named Bella, Jennifer Jason Lee, who may in fact be the definitive love of his life. And through the you know the court through as the hours tick away, the pair begin to find in each other the, what the pieces that are missing in their lives to that point. We have a clip of uh, Michael first meeting Bella. Hi, oh my God, it's you. Hi, I'm sorry to bother you. No, no, not not at all. I do, I, do you want to come in? Or? Um, I was just looking for someone. Uh, I, th- I think I've got the wrong. Who's there, Em? It's Mr. Stone. Michael Stone. Really? Oh my god. Oh my god. Hello? Oh, do I look awful? I was just taking my makeup off. Oh my god. Ugh, don't don't look at me. Hello. No. You look lovely. I can't believe you're in our room. We came here from Akron just to hear you speak. Oh my god, please don't look at me. Well, I'm certainly very flattered. Can look at me, Emily. This is a, an interesting one because this is going to be known largely for its gimmickry. I think, which is it's made using stop motion sort of animation with three D printed puppets. Now there is something of a weird Team America effect going on, but like Team America, the, the sort of proof is in the pudding as far as the the writing and the story goes. Because that's actually why we remember Team America was was the brilliant writing. Anomalisa was very much the same. And what makes Anomalisa stand out really for me is the fact not so much that it's animated, but that it would actually work just as well as a live-action piece as it would an animated film. It's quintessentially Kaufman. You can tell that through. It's got his his celebration of minutia, the the absurdity of the mundane, all that in there. The stuff that made films like Eternal Sunshine, the Match Plot, Band, and Adaptation so enjoyable to watch in the first place, and Synecdoche, New York, so unbearably terrible. Shut up, case. <laughs> so. It is, though, this really great exploration of the sort of the loneliness and isolation that comes with middle age, I think, in one sense. And it will remind you at times of, of all things, American Beauty. It has that, that the way that American Beauty explored this, a similar yeah. idea. I can, I can see that. This yeah. does as well. This does it without the character going off the rails, without the character going borderline <laughs> criminal. Buying like a convertible. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This is the same kind of thing. You've got David Thewlis, who's providing the voice. Of I Michael that was Stone. David I was I was yeah. waiting until we were back in. Yeah. And and then you've got J for Jason Lee. Let's say Tom Noonan is everyone. Here in the clip he was Emily. Um but this is a really, really well realized film. Just this a sublime level of just visual and narrative detail put in there. And there's little things like I mean, this is a completely crafted movie. There's not a real thing in the film other than the world of puppets and there's a, a really well shot sequence very early on in which you've got David Thewlis in a taxi talking to the driver and you notice the meter is actually running the way it's supposed to be think, I just love that level of detail it, I was kind of blown away by it because I expected it to be a film built on pretentiousness above all else. Having said that, I know that it is a 50-50 split. It's a very polarising film for people. I, I mean, Calvin watched it, for instance. What did, um, what did he say? Well, Calvin uh, came up with an exact quote for it, and I believe it was, he said it was like watching Boyhood made by Aardman. It was that pretentious. Um, you know what? Fair enough. Um, I, I know Alan Frank and Nigel Andrews did not enjoy it very much. I did. And I think that's because I, I, I went to expecting nothing, to be honest. And I came out thought, actually, I really like the performances. I really love the writing to it. And I even like the visual tapestry that's at work. It, it sold me. I found it moving. I found it insightful. I found it very considered, very thoughtful. It didn't overstep its mark. It does go into the surreal a little bit towards the end, but it does rein things back in with this stonker of a visual metaphor, which you really have to love. That it does relate to Tom Noonan. But uh, I say I, I really liked it. I thought it was a really terrific film. Although I want to single out Tom Noonan, who is providing the voice of everyone. Mm. Uh, looking identical. But who, who is Tom Noonan? I, Tom I know Noonan, the name. I know the name. Francis Dollarhide in Red Dragon. The original Red Dragon. Uh, uh, Manhunter. Yep. yep. I've just realised, now, now that I'm saying that out loud, I've realised I call it Red Dragon when I did the written review. So, Manhunter. <laughs> the Michael Mann one. The good one. Yep. The one that's not directed by the Rush Hour guy. Anyway. <laughs> Don't even say his actual name. With the latest film news and reviews. 
This is Offscreen. When we're back, and how much do you love that new intro? So much. So much. That's incredible. I thought thought you'd like that. Uh, Right, so let's talk about Kung Fu Panda 3 then, which is the threequel Poe is back. So the title of Kung Fu Panda is back. This time he is reunited with his estranged father, voiced by Brian Cranston, no less, and must take down the villainous Kai, who is played by J.K. Simmons. Kai is a, uh, a, a Kung Fu master of centuries gone by who has discovered that by harvesting the chi... The spiritual energy of Kung Fu Masters, he absorbs their power and thus becomes the most powerful Kung Fu Master in the world. And who can take him down? Well, it's got to be Poe, really. And unfortunately, Poe doesn't know how to use chi. Only pandas do. And there aren't an awful lot of pandas in the world. I don't know if you know the continuity. He seems to be the only one. And, uh, well... Luckily, he's met his dad, and his dad's a panda from a secret village of pandas, so he's going to school his son in how to take down Kai. Here's a clip. Everyone! Everyone gather around! This is my son! Hello, Kai. Oh, it's you! So, Hi! I don't know who you are. Oh, stripey baby. So beautiful. You look just like me, but a baby. <laughs> You're like me, but old. You're like me, but fatter. Oh, yeah. You're like me, but <laughs> with a hat. <laughs> <laughs> right, that sets the tone nicely for this film. This film is flat out adorable. It sounds like a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's good it to hear Brian Cranston do his, his how. It is, it is. And, and yeah. he's so well cast in it as well. But this is the weird thing because they've got Brian Cranston in there as the uh, as, as the, the, the biological father of Poe. Mm. What they do as well, uh, and this turns out to be because I don't really remember Kung Fu Panda 1 and 2. I have seen them and I remember liking them. Mm. Um, but they're not films that stick around in memory for me and I know they have real diehard fans I mean we know we, we have mutual friends who've just gone fanatical yeah. over it um, so I don't really remember them although it's one of those things when you watch the film you start to remember little things like for instance my favourite thing about them was James Hong as uh, Poe's adopted yeah, father dad is, is like a goose he's a goose so, yeah. yeah because you've got Brian Cranston playing the biological father mm. James Hong as the adopted father gets more to do so he has this bit expanded cool. role mm. where there is this sort of rivalry between the two dads and sort of begrudging respect begins to emerge. You know, not really, not pushing the narrative boat, but it's really well done. And James Hong is just a joy to joy to you know, not not so much witness but listen to so before. Yeah, yeah. And Brian Cranston as well. And I love Brian Cranston's voice, especially in Trump. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you've then got J.K. Simmons as Kai, who not rec- not instantly recognisable as J.K. Mm. Simmons, but once he gets into the swing of it, he's a genuinely menacing threat. The likes of which I hadn't seen for quite a while in an animated film. A genuinely threatening mm. animated villain. It doesn't villain. happen all that often. It's surprising. I yeah. think the idea is not to terrify children. Guess, and they, yeah. they come a little bit close, I would say, but they, they, they hold it back. But, say, it's all about Poe, it's all about the Kung Fu, and it's all about the story of the Chi. And the film works really well. It's 3D, is really well crafted, its story is interesting enough. It goes where you think it's going to go, to be honest. It's, you can tell from minute one where the inevitable sort of character arc is going yeah. to end. But if this is actually intended as a trilogy closer, then I actually would be quite happy with it. I think I think fans are going to go nuts for it. I think non-fans... I would consider myself a non-fan because I don't remember them. Um, as a non-fan, I sat there and thought, oh, actually, this is really charming and really lovable yeah. and really sweet. And I laughed. It's funny. It's genuinely funny at times. Well, first two were really funny as well. But I, I would definitely agree with you. I'm not an absolute diehard fan, and I don't remember every single small detail. But yeah. But this is the thing, because fun. the level it works on is the same level on which um, House Train Your Dragon 2 worked. It, it seems to take yeah. those boxes, House Train Your mm. Dragon 2. And I feel like DreamWorks are, in the last two or three years, significantly upping the game somewhat. I think they have to, really. I, I, think, I yeah. think the time has come. DreamWorks are now stepping forward and going, right, come on. Yeah. I've seen like a bit of, uh, I don't know, uh, like a chink in the Pixar armour. Yes, I think they've found yeah. the niche and they're going for it. And there isn't much more to Kung Fu Panda, 2, uh, Kung Fu Panda 3 than there was How to Train Your Dragon 2. It doesn't push them out mm. any more than that film did. But it's but it ticks the same boxes and it does it with the same efficiency and, and the same level of success. Yeah. I'm quite happy with the film and I came out seeing you know, everybody was kung fu fighting, <laughs> eating kung fu panda fortune cookies, and and loving it. And uh, yeah, that's it. I mean, it's not pandering, uh-huh. uh huh. But I, 
For the record, I haven't written a review yet, and I'm not gonna. You're not, not gonna put. I'm, that I'm not gonna put that in. No. Thank God. Pandemonium. <laughs> Right, so let's before we do the top ten real quick, uh, let's talk about... Ooh, John Carney, the director of Begin Again. Have yeah. You, have you heard about his new new gig? Yeah, I have, and I'm so, so happy, because I, th- I thought this film was dead. Russ and Roger Go Beyond? Yes. Yeah, this is... Oh, no, no, because a few months ago... Uh, well, well, Michael Winterbottom was, that was it, going yeah. to do it, but then he dropped out, so I thought that, that was kind of it. I thought it was game over. Well, yeah. now we have the director of Begin Again and Once, which I've never seen. Um, oh, Once is great. Is it? Yeah. Okay, isn't it a stage play? Um, the stage play is based on the film. Oh, right, okay, sorry. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was a stage play and it somehow involved Ronan Keating, but... Yeah, it... just watch a film and don't watch a stage play. Okay, Ronan Keating's not in the film, is he? No. Because he was in a film a couple of years ago and it was dreadful. And That's I, not the film. I blame Ronan Keating <laughs> yeah. and, entirely. And Ronan Keating isn't even involved in the songs for the original film. Okay. Just watch once the film, it's good. Can we just forget that Ronan Keating exists, then? I'm happy with I'd, that. I'd prefer cool, that. Yeah. I really would, yeah. Like people dislike Gary Barlow. I think Gary Barlow's a lot better a personality than Ronan Keating is. But I yeah. saw him recently on one of those like Saturday Kitchen kind of shows. Was he actually Saturday Kitchen? I think it was Saturday Kitchen. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it was Saturday Kitchen. Who's on one of those Saturday Kitchen he shows me in Saturday Kitchen? Yes. <laughs> I might have saw it on a Sunday. It might have been a, a rerun. <laughs> But yeah, so Russ and Roger Go Beyond, which is going to be the story of uh, Russ Mayer and mm, Roger, Roger Ebert, Ebert yeah. and how the pair of them came together to make Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. And Russ Mayer is going to be played by Will Ferrell, mm. and Roger Ebert's Josh Gad. This is That's going to be great awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I can't wait for this. That'll like, be good because because the story of, of Russ Mayer and his films in general is fascinating. So let's let's see what they come up with in this case. So shall we uh, shall we finish out this block with the the box office top ten then? Number five, Alvin and the Chipmunks: The Road Ship. Uh, it's still there. You know what? It is what it is. Yeah. You're, you're not going to get more or less than you expect. It is exactly what you expect it to be. You've seen the first three. But you could literally, you know, you could go to the pound, you could go to Poundland, buy a, a one pound Alvin and the Chipmunks coloring book, go and pick up the soundtrack from, H, from HMV, and you could piece the movie together yourself easily enough. Who's buying Alvin and the Chipmunks coloring books? I presume they must exist. Do kids not have coloring books anymore? Have I'm, I I'm, 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 sure, I'm sure that they do, but. Not for Alvin and the Chipmunks. Did, um, seriously, did iPads not replace coloring books? Is it actually a thing? I don't know. Number four. You know what that means? It's Grimsby. Grimsby. <laughs> uh, Grim, really. He puts the Grim in Grimsby, put it that way. <laughs> oh. <Hi-o. laughs> yeah, it's dreadful. It's not funny. Uh, you won't laugh once. In fact, I will say this. Grimsby is marginally... No, no, actually, no, no, no. Kind 50, of on par? Fifty Shades of Black was better right. than Grimsby. Oh, really? I, I will say that. Fifty Shades of Black is a better movie than Grimsby. Its narrative, frankly, works better. Which is literally the only compliment you will get out of me about Fifty Shades of Black. Grimsby isn't funny, isn't clever. It's nothing. It's a nothing film. No creativity has gone... Nothing has gone into Grimsby. Literally. This is the worst thing that has ever been associated with the name Grimsby. Number three. Hey! I want to shoot, baby. Shoot. Deadpool. Deadpool. Dead. <laughs> I can't wait for this to hit DVD and Blu-ray. I really can't. I well, it's, it's going to be the multiplex a little while longer. I, I, I think, think it is. It's doing huge numbers still. It and is, what, yeah. what did it make? This a mil, mil and a half this last well, weekend. Well, in the states, it's now crossed the three hundred mil <sighs> domestic, Good which Lord. is crazy. And we this week we got to celebrate the first International Women's Day post Deadpool. And if you've seen the movie, you yeah. appreciate how sick a joke that really is. <laughs> And it's even sicker when you have to explain it to Nigel Floyd. But uh, <laughs> aside from that, no, I really want to see it again. It's so funny, so sharp, so witty, so violent. I just had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Number two. Hail Caesar. I had a lot of fun watching this. Did you have a lot of fun with this I one? Did, yeah. I did as well. And, you know, I think because he... Well... Would that it were so simple. But <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> I love the film so much, and every time someone says Hail Caesar, I just want to go, Would that it were so, so simple. simple? Would that it were. Twer. Twer. Dear boy, why, why are you saying twer? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, great cast, great script, great stylistic temperament. Mm. Everything about it for me works. The, 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 the labour of love is clearly on the screen for all to see. The subtext in there is haunting. In terms of in-jokes. And, yeah, I just had so much fun. God bless the Coen brothers. They're back on comedic form. Number one. London has fallen. London has fallen. (laughs) I'm so happy this is number one. Was that really necessary? No. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? That line of dialogue kind of sums the film up. Was that necessary? No. That that is (laughs) the price of admission alone. And that's it. This is a bullet-chewing blockbuster of of the finest calibre. It is just... 
an explosion-heavy, you know, action-obsessed, landmark-demolishing splatterfest would be the way to call it. It ensues any sense of political correctness or wit or intelligence in the name of, you know what, here's a handgun and some catchphrases. Go nuts, Gerald. No, no. Here is a knife. (laughs) Here's a knife which conveniently fits in a human head. Yeah. (laughs) It is head-stabbing fun at its finest. There's no better way to call it because they do run that gag quite a lot. And on that note, we cue the music. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back and dancing. Disco so. dancing, disco dancing. <laughs> disco stew. <laughs> so, um, from disco stew to uh, diver- divergent boogaloo, I suppose. Oh, yeah. uh, it's time for uh, detergent allegiance and. <laughs> what's what you call it? Detergent. It was detergent inverted. Inverted, And yeah. then uh, detergent. Oh, we haven't got an A1, have we? Let's think. I'll, I'll think of one whilst you're yeah, you, well, this While, we, while yeah. we're doing that, then. Okay, so uh, divergent allegiance, which is actually allegiant part one, and then allegiant part two has actually been retitled ascendant. So this is the final book in the trilogy, which has become two films. Because that's what happens. Now. Because that's what happens. Yeah. Now there is a there is a compliment to be given as regards that. To be fair, oh, really? um, but basically, you have the end of the last film was identical to the ending of the first Maze Runner film, in which the characters are told, "Congratulations, you've survived our experiments. It turns out your entire world is nothing more than an elaborate mousetrap, and we are studying you in order to cure blah de blah de blah de blah. Come and rejoin the world." And in this film, Trace, played by Shailene Woodley, not Shailene, Shailene, it turns out. Shailene okay. Woodley, Theo James, Miles Teller, an attempted Maggie Q, uh, Zoe Kravitz, Ansel and Ansel Elgort, yeah. um, escape the, uh, the well, the mousetrap, as it were, in order to venture out into the real world, where they discover that they are effectively reality TV stars. They have effectively become reality TV stars and have really? been for about two centuries. Um, the whole point being that the winner of their big brother gets to cure the human race, which... That would be a hell of a Channel 5 series, gotta say. Yeah. Yeah, you really do. I mean, if that chick from The Only Way is Essex got to cure disease from my winning Big Brother. <laughs> you know. But yes, so, it turns out the uh, this benevolent society into which they have been inducted, which incidentally is run by Jeff Daniels, as all benevolent societies should in fact be, is not quite as benevolent as they suspected it to be. And they must, of course, venture back into their walled-off city of Chicago in order to prevent their loved ones and families from being caught in the middle of an erupting civil war. We have a clip. We're almost there. Yeah, I'm right behind you. <laughs> what are you afraid of, Ice? No, I told you that. Sometimes when I look past the wall, I think that I can see something out there. Do you? No, I don't. Maybe you need to look harder. I am looking. I'm just not seeing what you're seeing. When it's right in front of your face, you will. So we're really going to do this? Let's just go to the... We've, because we're pushing for time anyway, so let me just get down to the brass tacks with I this one. I forgot what film we were talking about. It, it, that, how, that is the problem, yeah. and you will feel that in the film itself. You do feel like, hang on, which which one is this? And then there is a point at which Miles Teller may or may not have betrayed him. You're like, hang on, didn't we do this last time? And then there's a point where one of them is... I remember that. Yeah, and then two, there's yeah. one of them is kept in a cell in the middle of the big office building in the middle of Chicago, and they have to go and rescue him. No, no, we did, we did that one. last time as well. And and then there's a, a famous movie star actress who's in the big glass room, who's overseeing all the evil machinations, who they have to get to. And so you think, no, no, we did that last time. Yeah, that Kate, was Kate, Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet yeah. But now it's Naomi Watts. What that? This is lather, rinse, repeat. <clears throat> now the biggest compliment I can give the film. One, I wasn't bored. I wasn't bored. I wasn't bored at all. Um, but and and it does go right where Mockingjay Part 1 went truly wrong. So Mockingjay Part 1 was, you know, like 20% plot and 80% filler. President yeah. Snow, it's me, Katniss. President Snow? Prezi Snow? <laughs> Danny? <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just stuff like that for what felt like an eternity. And then you got to the second one where everything happened and bored you senseless. Um, this film at least plays like a genuine sequel. So I don't know how the fourth one's quite going to go, if that's going to be the same kind of thing. It feels like, but they do all feel like the same movie. Now, this is significantly more enjoyable than the last one. 
Um, but I, I want to just stress that I think the first Divergent film feels like a fan-friendly director's cut that's just got far too much superfluous material from the novel included in it, which is only there because fans love it. Mm. Um, the second one I actually got to see at an IMAX sort of preview screening full of fans, and I didn't know this fan base existed. They are fanatical. They are ravenous, chomping at the bit, drooling fans. You just you don't think it for this particular box. You really you? don't. Hunger Games, yeah. Hunger Games, but, but they, they exist. Divergent fans, hardcore ones, they exist, and they lapped up the second one. I thought it was a really shoddily put together film myself, but yeah, it's I thought it was dirge. It was. It was a. It was a female-driven fantasy film in which the central character stood aside and let the boys do all the heavy lifting. Now, to be fair, this film combines elements of both, in which she does at one point literally stand aside and use virtual reality to spend ten minutes watching the boys do the heavy lifting, which is depressing in 2016, and also depressing the same week as International Women's Day. Really, Lionsgate. Really. Anyway. <laughs> Um, but it is also a little bit padded. It does have uh, requisitely likeable performances. Zoe Kravitz is a nothing character in this. I don't know why she's there. Ansel Elgort is kind of there to be exposition boy, really. Charlene Woodley, enjoyable enough, but doesn't really have a character. She's still a movie star waiting to happen, though. Theo James... Well, he's, he's this week's Robert Pattinson, if we're honest. But he is slightly better an actor than Robert Pattinson. And then in the middle of it all is Jeff Daniels, whom is what I can only describe as enjoyably typecast. You know what I mean? It is a Jeff Daniels performance. It's a Jeff Daniels character. You're going to get nothing new from Jeff Daniels, but you know what? You're going to enjoy Jeff Daniels being Jeff Daniels. And then you've yeah. got Naomi Watts doing the same shtick as last That's time. Usually. And then in the middle of it all is Miles Teller, who wants to remind <laughs> you... yeah. I was waiting um, for no, you. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm waiting. not I'm not going to do it. Okay. Although I would given where the film sort of leaves us, I I would like it if this was the last we saw of Miles Teller. I really <laughs> not would. It's not. It's it's clearly going to be in he's, the next one as well. He's got a Todd Phillips film coming up, so Oh no, I meant in the Divergent series. I mean he I just mean clearly in, will in be in the fourth future one. lives. I hope he's the ultimate on. villain in the end. Like that's the big twist. That would be a good twist. Yeah. And you know, and then they like take a knife. Not the same as a take a take a boot knife out and just get him in the face, kind of. <laughs> Gerard Butler just shows up. Gerard <laughs> Butler him. <laughs> Insurgent has fallen. Insurgent has fallen. Or exactly. A legion or absorbent. That's what this one is. <gasps> Detergent absorbent. Thank you. There oh, we yeah. are. Sold. That that is the new title. Detergent absorbent. Thank you very much. <laughs> right then. I mean, to be honest, fans are going to like it. Fans are going to like it. Um, there is a, a slight change to the narrative that I know of. Mm. And you can even if you even if you just told about it, you don't know the specifics, you can see where that change has been yeah. made. Actually, um, there is a slight change, but obviously that's done for the nature of there is a fourth film. Um, and non-fans, though, I think are going to be somewhat baffled by it. It is continuity heavy, and I, I literally I, I was having conversations with other critics afterwards who simply did not know which film franchise it was. We're like, mm. is this the one with the zombies in the sewer? I went, no, no, it's Maze Runner. Because we can't tell them apart anymore. They all look identical. Just kind of bleed into... Maze Runner and this one seem to have particularly identical plots. Mm. And it, it does get a bit much. So you will be baffled by it. You won't be bored by it, but you'll be confused as hell by it. But uh, either way, let's move on to The Witch. Which yeah. is... That, that's much more fun to talk about than The Witch. <laughs> so The Witch is the, the, deb- the debut of writer-director Robert Eggers. And this is a 16th, 17th century set puritanical horror film. So set in, you know, ye old America, as it were. Starring Ralph Einson, of all people. Oh, yes. <laughs> Ralph Einson with a scruffy beard and some, some unwashed long hair. Mm. This is open to huge critical buzz. The general gist of this is you've got a family who are ostracised from their community for their religious beliefs. Uh, they are forced to live in the wilderness where they, they struggle to get by. There's a family that has, I think, uh, five or six children. And, well, one day they are besieged by what seems to be a witch from both in the forest and in their own midst. Uh, one of their children goes missing and another is quickly possessed. We have a clip. Thomas, take your children outside. What does this to me? What does this? His mouth is sealed up. Oh, God. Hold him. Children, away from this. Thomas, in hell. He'll break his jaws. Oh, Mother! Oh, oh, East, 
this is a really, really impressive debut for, Ryan, for Robert Eggers. Ryan Eggers? Um, what you've got here is a series of really great performances. So at the centre of it all, you have uh, Kate Dickey from Red Road, who's the mother. Uh, Prometheus as well. She was, in, she was oh, one of yeah. the scientists yeah. in Prometheus. The one I always <clears> think is like a slightly younger Celia Imri for some reason. Um <laughs> It's funny when you look at it, yeah, it kind of does look like yeah. young Celia Emery. Um, so Red Road's uh, Kate Dickey's uh, the mother. You've got uh, Ralph Einstein as the father, as you can hear from the clip. Uh, and then you've got Anya Taylor-Joy, who is the, the sort of central figure of the movie, t- quickly takes over the narrative, and she is Thomasin, the eldest daughter. And she is very much our focal point for the film. I mean, at least initially, it seems to indicate it's going to be Ralph Einstein, yet it quickly shifts away from her. Um, I was taken aback at how well-crafted it was. It is a really compelling, really intriguing period piece horror film with weird elements of like a Shakespearean tragedy to it. I mean, it does at times genuinely play like an old school, full blown Shakespearean tragedy. Really? I'm aware that I just used the term old school and Shakespeare next to each other, and I I will flog myself. Bill. (laughs) Yeah, good old Bill. (laughs) It reminds me, Bill hits DVD soon. Anyway. He sold it out. I saw it it last week. Oh, good. Okay, right. I'm going to have to pick myself up. I'm going to have to get myself a copy of. Uh, of Bill, I'm a big fan of Bill, uh, and now apparently horrible histories. Anyway, um, but I really liked. This. I really loved uh, Anya Taylor Joy's performance. I think she's amazing in this. So uh, sort of young and young and unflinching. I would say not really. There is this sort of visible sense to her that she's not quite been broken by the weight of the film industry yet, and this kind of shows as you watch her performance. It is this. Really vulnerable, really compelling performance. And I was, I was just enthralled by it throughout. I would describe it as spellbinding. <laughs> you are on form today. I really am as well. <laughs> so that's it. I mean, the only problem with this, I think, is that it's a film it, like The Revenant. And I say this because it sounds like a a, a, like a, a, a put down. It's not. It's a compliment. Mm-hmm. Um, like The Revenant, it is a single watch experience. You're not going to rewatch this on beer and pizza night, put it that way. But it is, I mean, it's a festival movie, clearly, as well. I mean, I think it originally started as a festival movie. But like The Revenant, you watch this, you revel in it, that's it. You go away and celebrate it, but you don't quite revisit it. And I think, on those grounds, it's perfect as it is. It's a great film, works on that level, but this is not something you're going to want to watch three or four times. This isn't the kind of thing you'll re In terms of horror, you're not going to rewatch this at the same rate that you watch the average slasher movie. You know what I mean? This is this is no. I very rarely rewatch a slasher. We, we have sc- Unless it's like a. We have like Scream on about once a month in my house. Seriously. Really? And we do. Yeah. I generally watch Scream once every two years when my fiance is like, let's watch Scream. Oh, I get made to watch documentaries about the making of Scream quite regularly. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell Cassie that they exist. <laughs> oh, they do. They do. Oh, we man. have them. We have them all. <laughs> So, uh, we are going to need to pick a film of the week. Yeah, what, what are you going to um, go for? Um, I think, to be honest, I'm going to go for Kung Fu Panda 3. Oh, cool. Uh, which I didn't expect to. Um, it but looks to be fairly strong this week. To be fair. It is. Yeah. I, I really liked Kung Fu Panda 3. I think it works for parents and kids alike. I think it is one of those things where kids are obviously going to be the existing fans and don't want to go and see it. The parents can be like, hey, yeah. this is really fun. <laughs> oh, and look, Heisenberg's the dad. <laughs> and Fletcher from Whiplash. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, Fletcher. <laughs> but yeah, Kung Fu Panda 3. So next week we have oh you're gonna be you're gonna be in heaven next week guys. What do we have? Right, first of all we've got Ten Cloverfield Line next oh, week. That, that got, we weren't meant to have it this last week. It's been it bumped yeah. a week. Uh, so Ten Cloverfield Lane, that's next week. Uh, Rock the Casbah, starring Bill Murray, that's next week. Really? That that's out of Slayton. That had a Slayton. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but doesn't that just fascinate you more? It Give, does a little. I'll, I'll watch. Given I'll the watch complete drivel that Bill Murray's been in, that's gotten critical acclaim. Like, I, I'm, I'm quite Vincent. intrigued. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've also got Risen, in which Joseph oh, yeah. Fine hunts the Christ, which yeah. <laughs> is a sentence you never thought you would have to say. <laughs> exactly, it's a Roman fugitive movie with Jesus. What's not to love about that concept? And and this is where it gets really good. Tom Hiddleston in High Rise. Are you as excited for this as I am? I cannot wait. I cannot wait. J- a JG Ballard adaptation. This has been. This is Ben. Whe- uh, sorry, uh, Ben Wheatley, who wow. I love. Uh, we'll agree to disagree on that one. We've uh, not been on the same plane today. 
you, you, me and you, we ain't vibing. Right we're not. Now. We're, we're not. <laughs> okay. So we got we got all those to come and more next week off screen. Don't forget to check out the podcast edition. Uh, go to the end credits. Skip past the end credits yeah. for the podcast extras where we uh, disagree we, about other we disagree about other things. We mostly arm wrestle and have a moment of cage. Uh, this has been a candy store production for uh, on screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been Case Allen. And we'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Podcast extras then, Mr. You know what we didn't get time to talk about? What's that? Uh, JGL. Joseph Gordon-Levitt left uh, Sandman, didn't he? Did you hear why? That's a shame. Have you actually heard this? Because he actually I've not put, heard why. I just heard that he did. But he put a statement. Yeah. He he announced this by putting a really mm. long post on Facebook because apparently that's what we do now out yeah. you know, in the entertainment industry. That's, that's what they do. They and I, we I as fans the, read their Facebook. Pages. Of course, yeah, yeah. Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, that's it. I saw that he left the project a few months ago, but he's kind of just clearing things up now because there's mm. a new writer that's just been attached. Yes, the same day as well. It got announced yeah, the same day. So he's like, I'm just going to clear the air. Well, the actual story goes that uh, it was sold by well when Warner. Brothers sold all the Vertigo line mm. to uh, New Line. Well, not sold it, they transferred, because they own New Line as well. They transferred all the Vertigo stuff, because obviously Vertigo is an imprint of DC Comics that tends oh, to do yeah. more adult fare. Mm. They transferred all the Vertigo stuff over to New Line, so that it wouldn't quite impact on their uh, DCEU DC, out- yeah. output. Although, that kind of puts Constantine in the lurch, if they ever want to go down that route. But <laughs> um, And also Dark Justice League. Justice League Dark, whatever it's called. But JGL apparently just did not like did not see eye to eye, did not like the collaborative process with New Line and just felt that he couldn't get along mm. with it. That's a shame. That is a shame. I thought that was a pretty good pairing. It was, it was yeah. good. I quite liked it. So let's see. Oh, um, the Freddie Mercury news. We've got to talk about that. Yeah, let's get this out of the way. Let's get yeah. this out of the way. So, while promoting Grimsby in the US... Because it needs promoting. Yeah. Well, apparently in the US it's called the Brothers Grimsby. Yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah. Uh, so whilst promoting Grisby, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen dropped by the Howard Stern show. Mm. And during the course of conversation, <laughs> uh, the subject moved on to the Queen movie that he was going to do, in which he would have played Freddie Freddy. Mercury. Yeah. But he was also involved in the uh, the creative process of it, uh, as in he was originally brought on board to write the film as well. He was going to be that involved in it. Um, he has now... He, obviously, he left the film, and at the time it was creative differences were cited. Mm. And it's always been something of a mystery, and it's now been cleared up by Cohen himself, who was basically revealed that Brian, uh, was it Brian, May, Brian May and Roger Taylor, yeah. who are you know, the surviving members of Queen, who are the producers on the film, who have always been quite protective of uh, Freddie Mercury. It, well, it's, his, it's his not depiction. it's not just being protective of Freddie, they're protective of their entire image as they are now, like, know, as a band. You do sit there and think, like, we know you lived through the 70s, like, seriously? Yeah. But to, we've somebody... seen the stuff that you've had to put on. Yeah, we've 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 we've, we've seen documentaries. We know what happened, but I mean, also they, they want they want apparently a family friendly picture. Sasha Baron Cohen at one point was quoted as saying he wanted to make a warts and all R rated picture. Now yeah. let's bear in mind, of course, we are talking about a man who who had a legendarily foul mouth. I mean. Any yeah. documentary with Freddie Mercury is hilarious just for the man himself. I mean, he's a fascinating guy, Freddie Mercury. Mm. But by God, that man could curse. I managed to restrain it when we do this for an hour a week. Uh, I mean, and you know what I'm like the rest of the time. Yeah, as, as, soon, as, uh, as soon as it's done. <laughs> F-bombs everywhere. F-bombs everywhere. But I, 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 I curse like Kevin Smith in my off hours. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and the story now goes that they simply weren't happy with anything Sasha Baron Cohen put in front of them. He didn't. He can't write a biopic, so he said, I won't write it. I will go and get someone, I'll else. Get someone else. He brought them Peter Morgan. Peter they, Morgan did uh, The Queen. Yeah, yeah, who actually did The Queen, so the, imagine yeah, doing strange, that. Yeah. From one queen to another. <laughs> it's worth doing just for that alone. It really is. Yeah. I went from The Queen to Just Queen. <laughs> uh, so Peter Morgan, they weren't happy with him. They got David Fincher... Yeah. In line as Dutch, not happy with him. They got Tom Hooper, not happy. Well, that one I can almost understand. But uh, I'm sure that he could have done that. I no, I don't want Tom Hooper. I, I'm sorry. If you're doing a Freddie Mercury movie, I would actually like to see Freddie Mercury in a close-up, not mm. from across the length of Wembley Arena. Do you know who else? That's a good. Which actually would happen. <laughs> would have seen like a tiny little picture of Freddie <laughs> in a corner. That really would have been it, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, Dexter Fletcher was also in the director's Yeah, chair. he's only recently left, though, as well. Within like the last kind of six months, yeah. He signed up and he cast Ben Whishaw yeah. as Freddie Mercury. Which I think is 
pretty decent. I think what, that's all right. What really amuses me about this as well is that um, there have been some unkind things said by Brian May and Roger Taylor about Sasha Baron Cohen yeah. in sort of the last six months, which, I'll be honest, I find quite distasteful. I have no love for Sasha Baron Cohen, particularly after uh, Grimsby, but I, as a Freddie Mercury fan, having seen my share of research materials on Freddie Mercury... <laughs> and documentaries, yeah. And you, know, you just think he is the only... He would embody it. He would be perfect. He would just be ideal. He, You can mm. see that movie. Yeah. You can literally envision that movie. And Brian May said uh, that he... Oh, I'm trying to remember what it was now... He couldn't find a way for it to, for it to be taken seriously with Sasha Baron Cohen in there. He wanted it to be a, a full family experience. They couldn't find a way to make that work. Brian met, uh, Roger Taylor said he didn't. They didn't want to make it an embarrassment. It wouldn't be an like, embarrassment. I don't it's think just... you understand. Never mind. Here's the thing: Sasha Baron Cohen is great when he's not being a Sasha Baron Cohen character. Exactly. He was great in Hugo. He was yeah. great in The Miz. He was really good as the innkeeper guy. Well, having said that, in Hugo, he is playing Peter Sellers. Essentially, he, yeah. he is yeah. mustache and all. So, um, something we've been banding around uh, for a while: uh, mm. the official release date for the Force Awakens has been revealed. Is it April fifth, I believe. Is it April fifth? I'm sure it's April fifth. Wait, sorry, of what film? The Force Awakens. Oh, sorry, DVD. Yeah, sorry. DVD and Blu-ray. Have you seen, not seen the Steelbook? It's got a special BB-8 steelbook. You can actually oh, I'm buy. About to see it. <laughs> You're, about to see it. <laughs> <laughs> You're about to see it. You're about to. You buy. You sorry, pre-ordering? I I thought you were talking about the new. I thought oh, it was about Rogue no. One, and I was like, "Oh no, they have people? they have been screening uh, footage from Rogue One, though." Apparently, That's oh really? Do, do, do we know how it's been playing? It's been I, I have not found that information out, unfortunately. Mm. One thing I have found out, however, is that J.K. Rowling has confirmed that Harry Potter and the Cursed Child will not be made into a film. Fair play. I think that's that's good. Uh, that being said, they are doing a Fantastic Beasts trilogy. So. Yeah. Just want to point out though, this is J.K. Rowling saying that, which means it won't be made into a film this decade. <laughs> Perhaps in 2020, it will. You know, in the same way that there was never going to be anything after Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two, hmm. and now we have Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, as well as more books, as well as a stage play. As you know, <laughs> please. She literally will wrench blood out of a stone. Um, oh, there may still be a third National Treasure film. Are you excited about this case? There's still hope. Yes. There's still hope. Of course I'm we excited. might still get to see Nicolas Cage find Atlantis. That's what I want to see. <laughs> Nicolas Cage. I love that to be plot. <laughs> Is it not implied that that's the case? I'm sure it's implied in National Treasure Book of Secrets. Well, the end, the last one. That page 47, mm. the, the mystery of page 47 is somehow about Atlantis. I'm sure that's been confirmed. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so Jerry Bruckheimer and Disney CEO Bob Iger apparently have had conversations about it. Although Bob Iger did confirm today, certainly, that uh, Disney are going to lose 75 mil on uh, the finest hours. Yeah, not a lot of people yeah. saw it. Imagine that. Yeah. So, um, oh, this is one. Remember after the Sony hack? When it was announced that we were going to get a Men in Black Jump Street crossover movie, yeah, that, found, that, found a director. Yep, yeah, that, that's real. That's, that's, actual, that's actual. They're actual actually fact. going for it. These are actual facts. Yeah, the, the, these are facts. <laughs> and yeah, and just the facts, man. And <laughs> so, yeah, apparently this is the part that I find really amazing. Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum are confirmed to be in it. Yeah, which is mind blowing to me. Seriously, but this part I love as well. They're going to be recasting the Men in Black. To launch a new franchise off the back of this. Uh, of course we are. Of, of, course, of course they are. Yeah. Y- yeah. Okay. So, I wonder, I wonder how intensely Anthony Mackie is staring at his phone. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not think? He's just going to like punch you Chadwick Boseman in the face. That part is mine. <laughs> exactly. Yo, Chadwick, come here. <laughs> None for you, Michael B. Jordan. None for you. <laughs> Mikey, sit down and shut up. <laughs> I love Anthony Mackie. He's a genuinely nice man, though. Uh, I can imagine. It seems... Uh, yeah, uh, the the filmmaker, though, uh, James Bobbin. Oh, that was it, James Bobbin, yes, who yeah. brought us the Muppets. And Flight of the Concord. He was one of the directors on Flight of the Concords, and he's doing a new Alice in Wonderland film, which doesn't look, uh, doesn't look terrible. Doesn't look the, terrible. the last one didn't look terrible. Oh, the last one did look terrible. No, it didn't. The last one looked really wacky and cookie and Tim Burton-y. And No, no, go away, Tim. Nobody likes you. Um, <laughs> except, you know, goths who've never seen your movies. But... Uh, <laughs> It is true. Like 11-year-old goths in Beetlejuice trousers who have clearly never actually watched Beetlejuice. That just amuses the hell out of me. I'm I pretty sure. Beetlejuice when I was 11? I'm, I'm sure I did. No, I'm, I, I, I yeah, but you're not a current 11-year-old in Beetlejuice trousers. I mean, you're hipster-ish, but... <laughs> That's the nice thing someone has ever said 
hipster-ish, instead of just uh, ven- <laughs> venomously saying, you hipster. <laughs> Go put your final shirt back. <laughs> Get to Costa and play with your Microsoft Surface. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Use your Android phone and then tell me about how open it is. Anyway. That, sorry, that's, that, in my head, that's a, hip, that's a hipster. That's it. Says, says the guy with his big headphones and his internet watch on his wrist. My internet watch. Yes. <laughs> Let's not attribute that quote, just, just for argument's sake. Oh, there is another Joseph Gordon-Levitt project we didn't talk mm. about. Have yeah, you heard about K-Troop? Yeah. This is going to be the story of how the U.S. Army tried to take down the KKK the, uh, in, uh, after the Civil War. Was mm. it after the Civil War? Was it just before the 19th? Ni- it was just after the Civil War. Before the 19th century, wasn't mm. it? Uh, we've also got because uh, we mentioned National Treasure, John Turtletaub, who directed National Treasure, is going to is taking over for Eli Roth yeah. in directing Meg, which is not the story of an unappreciated teenage girl in a pink woolly hat, but no. is instead an adaptation of a novel which Warner Brothers is turning into its giant killer shark movie. Because I kind of just want that to be the title, giant killer shark yeah, just, movie. Just call it what it is. I yeah. the thing is though it's Warner Brothers. I kind of want them to pass it through New Line so that they can then do a sequel and shared universe San Andreas Dwayne Johnson fights a killer shark. All I'm saying, come on, because he's already going to need the, that. He's going to be in the Pacific for the sequel to uh, uh, San Andreas. So oh yeah, he's doing the yeah, yeah you know thing. what I'm yeah. thinking. This this is this is a potential. Shared My universe. question for you: What studio is um, a Deep Blue Sea? Deep Blue Sea. That was Warner Brothers. Get them all. Get, get them all. Get them all together. Get, get them all together. We need Lake an... Placid. Get that big crock in. Oh there. no, no, no. We get Deep Blue Sea involved. That yeah. means we get another LL Cool J theme tune. Deepest oh, yeah. blue is my head is like shark fin. <laughs> this is all. Why don't we just work at Warner's? I, I don't know. Actually, you know, the people I know who work for Warner's, all happy people. Genuine. That does dis- not surprise despite me. the fact that they have to deal with Batman versus Superman, they're a surprisingly happy bunch of people. <laughs> but we will talk about that in the coming weeks. We will talk about that in the coming weeks. Yeah. Uh, let's see if we've got anything else uh, left to cover. I'm, I'm wearing a Nicolas Cage t shirt. You are wearing a Nicolas that's, Cage t shirt. Uh, and funnily enough, here it is your moment of Cage. You broke out. Let me see if I can get this straight. You went down the incinerator chute on the mine car through the tunnels to the power plant. Under the steam engine, that was really cool, by the way, and into the cistern through the intake pipe. But <clears throat> how, in the name of Zeus's butthole, did you get out of your cell? I only ask because, in our current situation, well, it could prove to be useful information. Maybe! Trade secrets, my son. <laughs> 